are now listening to Vibe Selection with Kyra, where you can get the real on today's hot topics. Well, welcome everybody, and thank you for tuning in to another episode of Vibe Selection. I am your host, Kyra, and on today's episode, I am very proud to announce I have award-winning author Christian De La Huerta joining me today. He is also a LGBTQ activist and spiritual teacher and leader of the breathwork community, and he will be joining me today to discuss the book, Awakening the Soul of Power. How are you doing today, Christian? I'm doing pretty well, Kyra. Thanks so much for having me on the show. Um, how are you doing? I'm doing wonderful. Thank you. So, okay, this book has got a lot of acclaim and it is a bestseller. And I also know that Gloria Estefan co-signed the book. So tell me and everybody a little bit more about how you came into contact with Gloria Estefan. <laughs> but, yeah, that's um a great question. And when I finally got the endorsement from her, nice. um, which was a great endorsement, I was just like for a whole day, I just couldn't believe it. Um, you know, and it's a testament to persistence. So it, the, I think the message of that story is about when you believe something to really go for it and, and, and never give up. I, I probably courted her for three years. Oh, um, and I. You know, long story short, I knew she was going to be honored at some kind of nonprofit gala type thing. So I bought a ticket and I went. And at the end of it, I kind of made a beeline for her to make sure I wanted to connect before she left. And she was really sweet and nice and accessible, stayed as long as there were people who wanted to meet her. And so we connected with the fact that before Gloria was Gloria, when it was Miami Sound Machine, they used to play at our high school dances like way back when. Oh, wow. And so we laughed about that. And, and then I told her a little about, about the book and it's uh, part of it, part of its message on uh, women's empowerment. And so she gave me her, her the card for her manager. And then that was the, the work part of it. Right. He was doing his job. He was being the guard, the guardian, mm-hmm. the guard dog. <laughs> and after like a year and a half, I was getting ready to give up. And I thought, well, you know what, let me, let me shift how I'm thinking, thinking about this. And I thought, what's going to make her interested in this? Cause she probably gets approached all the time by people. Mm-hmm. Um, so then I thought, you know, this book is a series of three. It's part of a series of three about heroism, what it means to live heroically in the 21st century. And so I did a little bit of research and, and I wrote to her and it was all real. It was all authentic. And it said something to the effect of, you know, the you probably don't think of it this way, but the way that you showed to the world your recovery from your from the bus accident and your the you know, the the injury to your back has inspired so many people who who faced some kind of challenge. And then I found out in researching that her father had been um, a counter revolutionary against the you know the the communist regime in Cuba, as my parents were. He was here. My parents were still there. Um, And so I said, you know, the sacrifices that your father made and that our parents made were, again, nothing less than heroic. They were placing their lives at risk for a greater cause for the freedom of of their country and their children. And and then I also found out that she had helped a lot of Latino artists, you know, to to make it. And so I said, you know, you're also very generous. And I wanted to acknowledge that and, and um, help so many people along the way. And so would you help this fellow Cuban American to, to reach a broader audience with this empowering and important message in these times? And, mm-hmm. you know, a few months went by and again, I had to go to press and I thought, I guess, I guess she's not going to do it. And then this little voice inside and just said, well, just one more time, just one more time. And so I said, I wrote one last email and I, to the manager and I said, you know what, I, I'm, I'm not stalking you. I just want to make sure that you're getting my emails. Mm-hmm. And within an hour this time, he got back to me and he said, um, hey, can you give us another week? She's halfway through the book and she's loving it. And and that was that. And and so, again, the story is to to stick with your message and not give up, because sometimes we end up giving right before something's going to break through. Oh, yeah. Persistence is key. Some, and a lot of times persistence yeah. is key and everything. Well, that's amazing that you were able to connect with her. And it's almost kind of like it was, a, you know, divine intervention in a, a sense that it was something was guiding you and leading you to connect with her in order to connect with the broader audience, because I know that you already had, you know, a large following 
rolling. But I mean, you connect with Gloria Estefan, that could take you to even greater heights. So, yeah, I have the book had some great endorsements from a lot of, of authors and you know, people in my field and, and the personal growth and transformational and spirituality industry. But I knew that somebody like if I could get somebody like her who has a, a global international audience and such credibility because she really is a good, genuine person. And down here in South Florida. She, she, you know, they're, she and they're known for, you know, the Estefans are known for how good they are and, and how much they contribute and they give back to the community. So I knew that the, the, if I could get somebody like that, I knew, like you're saying, that it would help me reach a lot more people and make a difference in, in so many more lives. Yeah. And it's wonderful to see how much you guys also have so much in common. You know, with your parents yeah. being revolutionaries and everything and your parents, you know, coming to a, America from Cuba and all they had to endure in their transition to that and some traumatic experiences. So, yeah, yeah. it's it's amazing how, you know, you can connect with people and you never even realize that you have so much in common sometimes. It's true. So that was another lesson for me is like, you know, do your research. Yes. Um, <laughs> do your research before you approach somebody and then always frame it in like what? going to make a difference in their heart, right? How is my request going to, how do I touch their heart so that they, they honor my request and, and that I at least consider it? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So you also mentioned um, that you are an unlikely person to speak about heroism. So I know you discuss a lot in the book about, you know, growing up and dealing with some internal issues that you were facing, such as coming out as gay and growing up in a very religious household, among some other experiences. So can you tell me a little bit more about you coming into your own sense of hero and what brought you into your journey into wanting to become a spiritual teacher? Yeah, you know, and and that was another word that I struggled with, you know, teacher um, or healer or, um, you know, and certainly hero is one that I would have never connected with, Um, you know, and like I said, you know, like, like I talk about in the book, I'm unlikely because I grew up in my first 10 years of life in Cuba. So in a communist regime, which, as you know, to be speaking about personal empowerment in a communist country is like it's laughable mm-hmm. because the state, you know, in, in, in a dictatorial authoritarian regime like that, the state owns you and mm-hmm. everything about you. And so many of the liberties and the choices that we take for granted here in the U.S., like Am I going to go to college? What what am I going to study? I mean, you don't have those choices um, in, in that kind of place. And so and and so, you know, the, the, the government controls every aspect of everybody's life. Um, and so also because the Catholic, um, you know, grew up in a really Catholic environment, I'm one of nine kids. Um and with all due respect, you know, to to the tradition, it's also very hierarchical, right? It's all it's also very power over. It's like they tell you what to do and what not to do and what to and what to believe is right and what's wrong and what to believe in. And so the journey towards my own sense of personal empowerment has been a really interesting and long one um, because I was incredibly shy. And I think part of it was because of the fact that my parents were counter revolutionaries that like there was real risk that they were taking um, out of their pot of friends. They were the only ones who didn't spend 20 years in jail or were actually, you know, like political prison or who were actually, you know, shot. Um, and so when we came to the States, so, so we grew up, believe, you know, like with this implicit message, like we didn't know what was going on as kids, but we grew up with this implicit message, I think, that not to show up too much, right? Not to kind of blend it to the background a little bit so that you wouldn't be too noticeable. And so when we came over to the States and, you know, we first of all lived in, in Georgia, small rural town in central Georgia for about three years uh, while my father got his uh, psychiatrist license to be able to practice here in the U.S., um, you know, it was like that even accent made it worse because because I didn't speak a word of English. Um, and so, you know, talk about feeling different wherever you were, feeling like you were the other. Like in Cuba, the minute you applied for permission to leave the country for a visa to 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 leave, to emigrate, um, you were immediately labeled gusano, which which means worm. And and 
it's hard to believe, Kyra, but even in like in third grade, like our, our, our teachers, my sister and I, my older sister and I were always like at the top of the class because we were good students. Mm-hmm. Um, but at that point, when the school found out, like we never got an award again. We never got cookies at break and the teachers would actually call us gusanos. Like that, how cruel is that to to do that to a little kid and to make a kid feel, feel different. And like there was something wrong with them. And, and so when we came to the States, you know, now I stood out again. I felt so different because uh, nobody in my class spoke Spanish. And so for me, it was kind of like sink or swim. Mm-hmm. Um, and then finally, three years later, where, where I, you know, learned English and I was doing my best to blend in and to be accepted. Then we moved back to Miami, where I went to um, um, an all boy Catholic school that was like probably 95, 99 percent Cuban. So then I stand out again because I sound like a Georgia peach. (laughs) (laughs) And and then under the surface was the real big problem, right? The one that you mentioned earlier is that I knew even at a young age that I was gay. Um, And talk about feeling like different. Talk about trying to reconcile to, 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 to find a place for, for myself like in a religion, in the religion that I was raised that told me that I was going to burn in hell for eternity because of who I was. Um, and so, so I, that sense of feeling different of feeling the other, um, I know it intimately. And, but the, the good news is that, you know, even though my adolescence was one long depression with fantasies about suicide, about mm-hmm. taking my life, um, because it was, because it was, you know, so it's such a challenging thing for me, um, because there was this part of me that, that wanted to serve God as I understood it, then wanted to make a difference in the world. And yet there was no room for me. And I was told, you know, that I was gonna, that I was an abomination in the eyes of God. And, and, but the good news is that these days, so flash forward to today, um, no matter the, the details of my life, like no matter what happens in my life, a relationship works out or it doesn't. A a project succeeds or it fails, in quotes. Never, ever do I question my sense of worth, like like my sense of self-acceptance, my knowing who I am, my ability to to step into my power and to stand free, no matter what anybody thinks, no matter what anybody judges. It's like, I know who I am. I know my connection with with the sacred is established um, and never, nothing, it's it's unshakable. Mm -hmm. I, mm -hmm. I, I know that if I can do it, anybody else can, no matter what the details and the circumstances were. Absolutely. I definitely agree with that. And you're definitely a testament of that. And this book is a testament of that too. And, you know, society really has all these social constructs of what we are supposed to be in their ideals. But like you said, it's about what your ideals are, who you are finding yourself and not letting society lead you or lead, try to dictate how you should be. You know, you being gay is not an abomination. And that kind of gets me into my point about religion and spirituality, because oftentimes, like you said, in religion, um, if you're coming out, if you're gay, then you're seen as some type of abomination. It's bad. You're going to go to hell. And there's so many people that have been told that. But I was actually speaking with someone yesterday and they were saying that if you are believing in Christianity or Catholicism or any form of religion, why would that religion ever tell you to do harm to someone? And why would it ever want to harm anybody? So the fact that people are are running with this narrative about that, it kind of gets me into thinking why there's so many people that also have left the church. And what are your thoughts on spirituality versus religion? Because although they are correlated, they're not you can have one without the other. So even if you're not someone that is religious, you can definitely be still be spiritual. And there's a lot of people that don't really understand what the meaning behind spirituality is. So what is your take on the definition behind spirituality? Yeah, I love that. And there's so much to unpack in what you just said. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I'll get to that final question next. But but I want to address what you pointed to, because it, it is true that um, that religion is what's used as a weapon to to persecute, mm-hmm. to make wrong, to judge homosexuality. And, and in the Christian tradition, there are six text, texts uh, that were translated. Um, and I'm not a biblical scholar, but there's 
important books out there that that go into the analyzing the original language um, and talk about how they could be they were misinterpreted and how they can be interpreted in different ways. Um, so, but but here, let's take one of those one of those. Um, text as as and, and look at it for a minute you know the, i think it's in romas i'm not sure like again again i'm not a, a scholar in that area mm-hmm. but it, it's the one that says that you you a man should not lie with a man uh, mm-hmm. as, as he does with a woman but and but what's interesting to me when i look at that it's that they don't say anything about women Right. Because and why is that? Because women were not even human at that point in, in history. They were considered property. Exactly. And and so uh, am I going to base my my decisions, my choices about what's right and what's wrong based on text or something that was written thousands of years ago uh, that were translated and retranslated and mistranslated mm-hmm. and that were taken out of their cultural and, histor- and historical context? Mm-hmm. I'm not. Mm-hmm. Um, and. What, and let's go a little bit deeper into that, because what I've learned, the more that I study this and the more that I think about it, is that misogyny, um, you know, so, so the, the hatred of women, the oppression of women and homophobia are two sides of the same coin. If you look at any religion and the cultures that that persecute homosexuality, 100 percent correlation. Those are the ones where women are not equal, where women are considered less than inferior. And and the more that I think about it, I think that misogyny is really the deeper one. Mm-hmm. And 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 here's here's like I had this this thought once. It's like because you know even today, like flash forward to today, people that are really homophobic, like like heterosexual men. Let's let's use that that mm-hmm. you know two women together. You tell you start talking about or show pictures or a movie of two women together. It's like ooh, ooh mm-hmm. want to be part of that. <laughs> I'm bothered. <laughs> yeah. But if two men together is like either yuck, the yuck mm-hmm. factor, or let's shoot them, right? Let's, let's kill them. Mm-hmm. Um, and so what's up with that? Right. And I, I think that, you know, two women together are not a threat to the status quo in their perception yes. right? because women are by definition inferior according mm-hmm. to them. But if, if in their mind, a man willingly gives up the quote unquote superior male status, mm-hmm. um, that is a threat to the status quo. Um, mm-hmm. And I think that's why that helps to understand that um, because it should be equal treatment, right? It should mm-hmm. be applied equally. So, so going back now to your, your really profound question about the difference between religion and spirituality. Um, if we look at the, at the origin of the words, religion comes from the Latin religare, which means to rebind. And I'm, I'm assuming it means rebind us to, to the sacred, to God. Mm-hmm. Uh, to me, even if that's the, the original meaning of it, it's, it still feels kind of binding, restrictive. Um, where if, if we look at spirare, uh, at, at, um, spirituality, it comes from the Latin spirare, which from that root, we get both respiration, and inspiration or expiration. And if we dive deep into like all the different religions, most traditions in the world, um, one word, the same word can mean spirit or breath, depending on the context, mm. depending on how we're using it. So for me, when we, when we, when we hear passages like, you know, like God breathed life into, into them. And when we think about it, we are literally animated by this holy breath um, that is our, our most loyal and our, our most faithful companion. And, and so when I think about spirituality from that perspective, it's very, very personal, right? It's like mm-hmm. each one of us has that holy breath inside of us, animating us and keeping us alive. And it's our most loyal, faithful companion on this journey of life, on this journey of embodiment. And, and so to me, that's one of the differences that helped me. Like when I realized that there was a difference between religion mm-hmm. and spirituality and that I could find a way to express my spirituality and reconcile it with my sexuality, that changed my life. That changed everything. Yes, that's powerful. And, you know, in this in this, I hope that when people are listening to um, this episode today, they are able to really get the message and understand what it means to be spiritual or what it means to even be religious. You know, that one is not bad. Being religious is not a bad thing, but it's what you actually how you use it. If you like you said, if you're using it to judge others, to hate others, to spew out hate, you know, to 
you know, just have to, to control other people's lives, then we really have to reevaluate religion as a whole. Yeah. And I think that's a, a situation where it's going to take a long time for people to really yeah. get to that point. But I know that we can definitely do it as a society, but we should not let other people's ideals define us. And that's what you didn't allow anybody to do anymore. Once you were able to see and come into your own, you decided, OK, I'm going to take this path. This is what I was taught as a child but this is how I feel inside and this is who I am. And right. that's wonderful as well. And, and by the way, that applies to all of us, you know, just, just because there's so much of what society tells us and what family tells us and what culture tells us about the way that women should be and behave and the way that men should be and behave, which is like, a lot of it is just like BS. It's made up on, on made up of what somebody made up along the way. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so, and that connects so much to the theme of this book, um, because the book is about how do we step into personal power in a way that's not about hierarchy, control, fear, force, domination. It doesn't require for us to, to push anybody down, to step on them, to press our knee to their neck in order for us to prop ourselves up and feel powerful. Like, how do we do it in a different way? And it has a message for everybody, but it has a particular theme around the empowerment of women and coming from my belief that that is the single most important thing that needs to happen in the world. And it's not to make women superior. It's not to put them up on a pedestal. It's not to idealize women. Women are also capable of abusing power in negative ways, but it's because we've been running so off kilter, so off balance where it comes to power between the genders and, and nobody that that harms all of us. And, And so you know, like we don't need to dive, you know, very deeply into the price that women have paid uh, for that imbalance of power and the oppression of women and the oppression of women and the injustice and the lack of equality over the last several thousand years and even today. Um, and so, so that's clear, right? But what what's also really interesting that that we're only now beginning to become aware of is that men also pay a price for that system of toxic masculinity Mm -hmm. uh, for that, you know, patriarchal system of power over. Um, And so, you know, let's look at a couple of numbers briefly. Like if you look at the rate of suicide in the U S men take their lives four times as frequently as women do. In fact, 70% of the, of the suicides in the U S are committed by middle-aged white men. Wow. Interesting, right? Very. Like, like what's up with that? You know, you could, you, that, that's still the group that holds the majority of the power all over the world. Mm-hmm. Then yeah. let's add a layer and let's look to, let's look at longevity in, in this country. Women outlive men by five years. If you look at the numbers globally, it's seven years. So clearly the system doesn't work for men either. And I think part of the reason that is, is because we have this misunderstanding, this limited way uh, in the same way that we limit what, how women are supposed to behave. We also limit the range of behavior for men. And so, you know, somewhere along the way, somebody decided that the emotions were weakness. <laughs> and, and then for generations, little boys have been told, you know, little little boys don't cry because the implicit message is if you do, then you're like a little girl and that's weakness. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you don't want to do that. It's like, I wait and wait a minute. Like the very foundation of it is messed up, because if you want to talk power and strength, uh, let's talk about the, the power of creation that lies in a female body. Mm-hmm. Uh, just as one example. Um, and and so. And, and well, actually, let me let me tell you this other example, because it's so funny and I'm not going to do it justice because there's nobody like Betty White. <laughs> True. <laughs> but, you know, I guess she was being interviewed or, or something and somebody made a comment about having balls and she goes, wait a minute. Let's talk about that, because, you know, how did we get this connection between courage and having balls? Because if you thump those little things, mm-hmm. the guy bends over in pain <laughs> <laughs> and, and it's taken out. You want to you want to talk courage. You want to talk power. Let's talk vaginas. Those yes. things take a pounding. Yes. <laughs> and we give we, we bring life into the world, too. And that's not an easy task. <laughs> Seriously, That's incredible. I cannot even begin to imagine. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
And so, but, but because of these limited ways of, of, of and, and this, we have made the, the feminine weaker and that we have made the emotions weakness when the emotions are strength, they're not weakness or they're not good. They're not bad. Emotions are like energy, like everything else mm-hmm. in creation. And, and so it's how we express them that we, you know, they have a good or a bad result. Um, and so because we, because of all this stuff, and we, so men have this erroneous idea, this limited understanding of what it means to be a man. So they walk around, we walk around with like these uncaring, unfeeling robots. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's the price to pay for that because, you know, like, like what used to be spiritual teaching that everything is energy. Now we know from quantum physics that it's true. That means our bodies are energy. The emotions are energy. We know from physics, energy cannot be destroyed. Mm-hmm. It can only change form. So when we suppress emotions, and this is when anybody, male or female, suppress emotions, when we don't allow ourselves to feel what we're feeling, when we say yes, when inside we're really like feeling a strong no, um, and and we say yes to to kind of keep the peace or for an illusion of, of, of to appease somebody, to avoid conflict, like those feelings that we suppress, they don't just go away. We can't sweep them under the rug. That energy gets suppressed and they get kind of pushed in. They get driven into the tissues and the cells of our body. Mm-hmm. And they build on that. So after years and years and decades of, of suppressing ourselves and our emotions, we walk around with layers upon layers upon layers of repressed emotional crap, mm-hmm. which we then dump on each other and we project on each other. And, and so no wonder that so many of us, most of us have relationship challenges because we haven't been taught how to handle them, how to approach them. And we certainly haven't been taught to how to heal our past so that we we're really we're having an argument in the present, but it's really un- unresolved issues from our past. Mm-hmm. That we're still reacting from, from the unconscious. Um, and, and so that energy has to come out one way or the other. So what happens is we suppress, suppress, suppress. And then the next unfortunate one comes by and says something to it, to us the wrong way. And boom, mm-hmm. volcanic eruption. Mm-hmm. And, you know, mm-hmm. or, you know, suppress, suppress, suppress. And it has to come out one way or the other. It starts seeping out and showing up as physical symptoms, cancer, ulcers, heart attacks. So, so that's, I think it's connected to the look, to the, to, to the shorter lifespan for men. Mm-hmm. And I, I definitely agree with that. And also, you know, in your book, you talk a lot about, you know, gender roles and the masculine, masculine and feminine. And you also speak about some essential themes regarding self-expression and trust and vulnerability. And I think that ties into what you just explained right now about how when as a man, as a male in society, you are taught not to be able to have a sort of self-expression. You're not taught to uh, be able to get in touch with your emotions. And sometimes not being able to get in touch with your emotions goes into another central theme in what you had in your book, which is becoming the abuser and being abused. And, 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 and how in doing that, you, you lose your sense of self. And so because you can't express yourself, sometimes that can lead to abusive behaviors. Because yeah. maybe someone told you that, oh, you're crying and they want to discipline you for crying, let's say a parent or something like that. And then that leads into abuse. And because that's all you know, and you bring that into other situations, which it could be in a relationship with somebody and you're abusing that person. And so it just becomes this unhealthy cycle. And we really, as a society, need to examine that and understand why we why it is a bad thing for males to be able to express themselves or even the idea that all women are criers and all we do is complain and bitch and moan. And, you know, we don't want to do we are incapable of doing a lot of things. So this gets me into a question of why do you feel like our society is so pressed on these gender roles of masculine and feminine and why males in society are thought to be or have to be this sort of like macho person? Why do you feel that is? You know, I think and, and amen, sister, by the way, for your, for your, <laughs> I'm preaching over here. Yeah, you're totally <laughs> preaching. <laughs> truth um so you know i think it's it's it was about power and and i think you know the 
you know, when, when the patriarchy, because when the patriarchy came out, probably, you know, five, 6,000 years ago, um, because before that, you know, it was mostly a matriarchal system. And before we had a God, there was a goddess. Mm-hmm. But when, you know, when there's this part of, of, of our evolution happened six, 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 five, six, six thousand years ago, in order to facilitate that shift, the female, the feminine had to be turned into something else. Um, and, and so, you know, that's also, by the way, why so many of the temples, like the, the churches all over the world were built upon ancient pagan sites and why so many of the holidays also represent you know were, were replaced and 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 put on the calendar right around the time of the ancient um pagan uh, holidays and, and so i think part of it was that conscious effort to 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 diminish the power of the feminine and to and to heighten you know the power of the of the masculine um and, you know, today, I don't think we need we need to go back to a matriarchal system. I don't think that's the way we don't want to. We don't want to go back to an imbalanced system. What we want is to find balance between the masculine and the feminine. And by the way, starting within each of ourselves, because those energies are found all over the universe mm-hmm. equally. Right. So that means that much to the surprise of some humans, we are part of the universe. So we're also going to be manifesting both masculine and feminine energies. Mm-hmm. And we only get into trouble with them when we're out so out of balance and when we're suppressing the feminine and making it wrong and making it less than. And that's what the world is like, like enough, right? Like enough of this. Mm-hmm. Um you know, you're like, here's an example that I talk about in the book. Um, when Obama won against Hillary, you know, the first time, um, you know, like the, like years ago when he was elected for the first time. Um, and, you know, I don't know. I don't know Hillary. I've never spoken to her or any of, of her advisors. But my impression so I'm completely making this up, but my impression is that because, and understandably, I don't know if, if it was a conscious thing that somebody told her, or whether she, it was just kind of under the surface uh, assumption, but my, my, my sense is that in order to be seen as a credible leader of, of the most powerful country in the world, um, that she thought that she had to act more masculine. And mm-hmm. it's not really a surprising theory because we see, you know, not less and less now, but we see so many women who as the rising in, in the corporate ladder, for example, or, or maybe even in the case of some politicians that they kind of be, assume kind of masculine qualities in the way that they dress or they do their hair. So like, like they kind of diminish their, their, their femininity, their sensuality. And, and again, I'm making this up, but but in my impression was that she she was more hawkish. She was more about let's go kick butt mm-hmm. uh, in, in Iraq than than whereas he was actually embodying more of the feminine principle in, in the sense of dialogue and let's get everybody everybody at the table and, and that kind of thing. And which is more, you know, more of a power with approach rather than a power over more patriarchal approach. And which is, you know, one of the the main messages of this book. Um, And so when he got elected, I think that's part of the reason that worldwide hundreds of thousands and, and demonstrations with millions of people all over the world celebrating. And, and yes, he was an incredibly gifted and charismatic and inspiring leader. No question. Hand, you know, for sure. I also think that it was because at some level, like maybe wasn't even conscious that we all, we, we've all had it with this masculine power over, you got to screw it or you got to kill it mm-hmm. approach to, you know, you got to push down, push it down in order for us to feel, feel powerful, mm-hmm. you know, flash forward eight years when she went up again for, for president last time. Um, by this point, she had a lot more experience. She had been secretary of state. She had been Senator. Um, so, you know, my impression is that she now felt a lot more credible inside of herself. Like the, she needed less external, uh, or, or, or like she needed less to prove, like she had more, she knew who she was more and what she was capable of. And so, 
if we notice the way she was dressing, the way she did her hair was much softer. Um, she, she spoke about love. She spoke about her grandchildren and maybe, and maybe that too had a softening effect, but there had definitely been a shift. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so I just find that interesting. Mm-hmm. Definitely. So, um, I want to get into a little bit of the issues regarding the pandemic, because I know that you said that this was the the arrival of this book was the perfect time because we were going through the pandemic. But you had actually been writing the book for about 10 years, you said, correct? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So on and off, you know, not not not, you know, with any kind of constancy or, or discipline, but but brewing it and writing here and there. Yes. Mm-hmm. So with that, OK, we, we get into this pandemic and we all know that pandemics are a very rare occurrence. But this also gets me into my idea that, you know, people say that history repeats itself a lot. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And a lot of times people don't like to reflect on why history actually repeats itself. And I personally feel like history repeats itself because we're not learning lessons that we need to learn in order to move forward as a as humanity and a society as a whole. Bam. So do you feel like with this pandemic that it was a, a lesson for a lot of people to reflect on things, even in regards to maybe personal relationships? Maybe you're in an abusive relationship that you've been prolonging getting out of for so long. And so now you're with this person every single day and they're still abusing you. And this is really that wake up call for you to realize I'm better than this. I don't need to be in this abusive relationship. How do I find my power within myself to get out of this? Or even maybe it's a job that you feel like you haven't been able to move up in. Maybe you're an assistant and you want to be an executive assistant. And maybe your boss is telling you, you know, uh, you don't still have the qualifications to move ahead. Or maybe they feel like someone else is better than you. And you've been just keeping this job because, you know, you're just trying to get by. And which I think a lot of people do in our society. We all have a lot of passions and things that we actually want to do as a career path, but we also allow money to hold a sense of power over ourselves and why we don't do things we want to do because maybe our uh, our particular passion doesn't make a bunch of money that we'll be able to survive with. So with this pandemic, do you feel like it was a, le- a lesson for people to reflect on some things? And what do you feel like we should change as a society with this pandemic? Bam, sister, like preach again. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> um, so, 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 I mean, yes, is, is the short answer. <laughs> I think the, the, the aspect about abuse is a little bit more complicated because the rate of abuse actually rose during, during the pandemic because so many people were stuck mm-hmm. um, at home with the abuser. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's a little bit more complicated, but I think, your main comment is like, I completely agree with. And, and, it, and, it, and it really has to do with anything in life, right? Any crisis, any, any experience, any situation, uh, we can either feel victimized by or we can d- dive into it and see what can I learn from it, right? So that I can become a better person. Mm-hmm. And, and so I know for many people that was without minimizing the tragic aspects and effects of the pandemic, right? The incredible loss of life preventable that were preventable um the the economic impact the loss of of jobs and all that kind of stuff for many people um it it proved to be a blessing because of what you said if if they took the opportunity to dive deep and ask the hard questions uh, like for me for example you know like this book i a few times in the last 10 years i asked myself is like wow my if i'm I'm missing the opportunity to, to bring up this conversation about power and types of power um, and how do we step into power in, 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 a, in a positive way, in, in, a, in, a, in a way that is congruent with the goodness in our hearts. Um, and, and then, you know, come to realize it's like, what a better time, like in the middle of that pandemic and after this uh, last administration that was so incredibly blatantly abusing power. Mm-hmm. Um, and so like it was, it, it, and, and at, at a time that this question about what it means to live heroically mm-hmm. was really up for us. Like the pandemic not only 
force many of us to to dive deep and ask the hard questions, but it, it even had us redefine and expand what that word heroism mean. And, and this book is the first of a series of three on what it means to live a heroic life in the 21st century. And so before the pandemic, most of us, you know, we heard, we heard the word hero and we would think of either a superhero with a cape um, or maybe a first responder or a warrior, somebody who, who literally places their life at risk uh, for the sake of somebody else or for, or for the sake of a larger cause. So now we've expanded that. So now we include our, our medical professionals, our respiratory therapists, our, our nurses, our doctors. Um, and we even include our grocery store clerks and our delivery people who literally placed their lives at risk and made huge sacrifices in their personal lives to keep the rest of us fed and provided for. And, and so this book then asked the questions, what about us? We know, what about the rest of us? Um, how do we live a heroic life in the 21st century? And so this first book is about focused on power and how we, how do we step into power in again, a way that doesn't require for us to abuse or, or push anybody down uh, or you use force or fear. Um, the second one is about relationships. Like how do we do relationships consciously um, and how do we approach them in a healthy way? Um, and how do we remove the subconscious ways that, that, and the subconscious patterns that when we approach relationships, uh, sometimes it feels like we get stuck in these patterns of relationships that sometimes feel like we're in the same boring movie, just with a different actor, right? Maybe the, the lead actor is different, but you know, the co-lead is different, but it's the same boring play. Like we get stuck in the same patterns of arguing and the issues that come up and whether it's cheating or lying or whatever, whatever the stuff that comes up, it, they tend to repeat itself until, like you said, until we heal them, until we have the, the courage to, to, to look at ourselves and ask the hard questions. Why do we do the things we do? Why do we get stuck in the, what, what kind of people trigger us? Why do I attract certain kind of people or relationships into my life? And it's hard work. It's heroic work. It's nothing short of that. And it is so rewarding and so fulfilling because once we figure out those patterns, then we can choose and then we can have freedom and we can, we can, you know, choose the kind of relationships and the kind of people that we want rather than just coming at it from subconscious stuff that we haven't healed or looked at that is still having an impact on our behavior and our lives. Mm -hmm. And, you know, um, you speak also about victimhood um, throughout your book as well. And my thing is, why do you feel like people become victims Exactly. Do you feel like a lot of people become victims because of their circumstances or because of another example that you speak a lot about in your book, which is the ego, mm -hmm. human ego that we allow a lot of times to get in the way of us becoming truly into our power? And that causes a lot of stagnation. So why do you feel like people become victims of their circumstances where they'll be maybe they came from an abusive household and they're like, well, you know, I've been abused all my life. So they start to limit themselves in other ways of not wanting to actually come into their own sense of power. And they always use, you know, situations that have occurred within their childhood as a reason why they don't evolve as people. But why in being and having and being a victim, how does that stagnate? you and not allow you to become within your power or find your sense of self. Yeah. And now, now you're diving deep. <laughs> uh, Kyra. Um, and this is probably the toughest um, part of all this, uh, of, of this journey of, of freeing ourselves and this journey of empowerment. And, and let's begin by saying that this is not about minimizing anybody's trauma, anybody's pain. Um, it doesn't deny anything that happened in our past, it doesn't make anything okay, but any, what anybody did, right? It, so it's not about that. It's about the mindset and how we hold it. Um, and, and, and it's, it's what, it's what you're, the way that you're talking about it is the way it is. It's, it's a, it's like a level of consciousness that regardless of what traumas we experienced, the majority of humanity is stuck in victim consciousness, mm -hmm. right? And feeling victimized by life. If, if only, 
this or if only that hadn't happened or if, if only I had been uh, this or if my parents had done, hadn't done that, if only I had been born different, blah, 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 right? If, if only. Um, and But the thing is, like the thing that is tough about this is that as long as we're holding anyone responsible for our, what, for, for our state of being, whether it's a person or whether it's a system, right? Or whether anyone or anything. So, because it is so easy to get to give our power away and to say, well, you know, I'm, I'm not happy or I'm not successful or I'm not filling the blank because my mom was this way or my daddy didn't do that or the teacher, or the minister, society, the rabbi or sexism, homophobia, racism, racism, if it only wasn't for that then I would be in my power. Then I would be happy. And again, it's not to deny any of those things, right? Those things exist. And, and human beings do horrible things to each other. And the system is set up unfairly. So, right? so, mm-hmm. so it isn't about any of that. It's about our relationship to all of that, mm-hmm. right? Because as long as we're holding anybody or anything outside of ourselves responsible for our state of being, we just give our power away. And sadly, often to the perpetrator, right? So again, it doesn't make it okay. It doesn't mean we have to hang out with them. It just means that it's, 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 here's, here's a a simple reframe, simple, but not easy, right? So here's what we know about life. Like one thing we can count on is that life is going to continue throwing curveballs our way. Like that we know things are going to happen that we just ain't not going to see coming. Um, and some of it is going to be really challenging. Um, and so, but, but here's the thing, here's a way to hold it that, that helps like no matter what happened in our past, right? So no matter the circumstances of our lives, no matter what happens going forward, we always get to choose how we show up in response, Mm-hmm. Right. And that alone, that simple way of shifting how we think about it is incredibly empowering mm-hmm. and it pops us out of victim mode and is nothing short of heroic. Mm-hmm. Nothing short of that, because it's not easy. It's it's some some cases it's almost impossible to do. Mm-hmm. It's hard, but it is so freeing. It is so empowering. It is so liberating. Mm-hmm. And and that's what we that's what we strive to be in this world. For, have yeah. freedom, liberty, power, respect, all the things, wealth. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So you also talk about spiritual ego. So tell me what your definition of spiritual ego is exactly. Well, and that's a huge conversation too that we don't really have time to dive into in this. In in a, in this great conversation that we're having. Um, because there's a lot of misunderstanding about what the ego is. You know, most of us who've heard the word will think arrogance, mm-hmm. inflated sense of self, you know, like having a big ego. And it is that for sure, but it is a lot more than that. Um, and then if we took Psych 101 in, in college, we might think, oh, he must be talking about Freud's model of personality, the id, the ego, the super ego. And that's not what, what, what I'm talking about. The way that, that I talk about and present the book in my retreats and in this book is more derived from Eastern teachings. And, and it's, it's a part of the mind, a part of the psyche that synthesizes sensory information and can reach into the past and can project into the future. And somehow it weaves all of that into a sense of self, like a sense of individual personality. Like this is Christian over here. That's Kyra over there. Mm-hmm. And, and so here's, here's a, a, an easy metaphor, like a, a visual to, to understand. Like if you put a baseball in the center of a stadium, that's what the ego is. Mm. Who we are is actually the stadium. And we've allowed this tiny, tiny, tiny part of who we are to think that it is all who we are and to make really important consequential choices about our lives, about what we do with our lives, about our relationships from its very small, limited, and always fear-based perspective. Um, And so, so, I mean, there's so much to say. Like I spent probably the whole um, big quarter of the book talking about the ego, because if we want to have relationships that work, if we want to have that sense of personal empowerment that we've been talking about, if we want to have a life that is filled with meaning and with purpose, 
it's important, it's critical to understand what the ego mind is and how it keeps us in a self-made prison of, of fear and limitation and reactivity and projection and victimization, etc. And so once we so so the first part of the book is like understanding how the baseball works mm -hmm. so that we can let ourselves out of that out of its self-made prison because nobody else can do that for us mm -hmm. nobody else can no matter how, how badly they want for us to be free only we can turn that key and let ourselves out mm -hmm. and i also feel like the ego is driven off of fear a lot of times as well because we allow our egos to get into the way when we're fearful of things oh, we're fearful of not having power or you know we're in fear of you know our economic status and not being able to pay our bills we're in fear of the pandemic we're always in fear we're such a fear-driven society and yes. our egos getting in the way constantly is why we're stagnant and ultimately why we keep repeating ourselves why history keeps repeating itself so absolutely yes, absolutely the ego ego fear resides in the ego for sure mm -hmm. absolutely yeah. so um you mentioned in the book that are, there are three phases of heroism which you call the adventure the initiation and the return so briefly just tell me a little bit about why do you feel these three phases are imminent in heroism yeah you know those those teachings are from um uh, the Hero Within by Joseph Campbell, who, who kind of created a structure and helped, helped us understand this whole story about the hero's journey that's been around humanity forever, right? All of our ancient stories, our myths, they all, they're all built around the structure. And, and if we, we start, you know, building, you know, like taking apart our movies, um, like it, there's so much of it that were that is all driven by the by the hero's journey. Um, so so what I did in this book is use that structure, that concept of the hero's journey, and applied it to our own personal um, journey of empowerment. Uh, and so you know so so you know the, the the call to adventure, right? Let's 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 look at you know Wonder Woman. You know, when when Steve trying to get away from the Nazis lands on, on that beach on the island of the Amazons, that was like that interrupted her, her perfect life. And then she had a choice. You know, do I go help out the humans? Do I stay here in my perfect environment? So that was the call to adventure or, or Simba in uh, Lion King. You know, when when uh, the father was um, assassinated mm -hmm. that and he was exiled from that was his call to adventure and and that's part of what the adventure requires is that you leave the safety of of your surroundings of your village of your island of 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 the pride of lions and it's a tough journey right it's a tough tough journey like on that journey which is that's why it's called initiation you were tested um you have allies and you have um challengers you have enemies that are that um, and so you have foes, you know, like, and in the case of the way that I frame the book, the, 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 uh, the villain is the ego, um, on our, on our individual heroic journey. Um, and so then, you know, so then, you know, they go out and they have their experiences and, and Simba, you know, goes through his phase of like screwing up and screwing around. Um, and then eventually like starts learning and he feels the call to go back. And, and so now the hero, like having, um, experienced, you know, learned, um, and faced their own challenges and, and their own inner demons. Um, now they can go back to, to the pride or to the village, um, and to share that wisdom. Uh, and that's, what's called the return. Absolutely. And that is a wonderful message. And the book has a wonderful message. So everybody needs to go out and get the awakening of the soul of power because it is a great book. You will definitely be very enlightened at the end of reading this book. It is great. I, I definitely enjoyed reading it. And thank you so much for sending it to me. But really quickly, before we go, can you tell me who some of your heroes are? <laughs> that's, that's great. Had I, to. Have, I have many uh Karen. by the way thank you for those those kind beautiful words Absolutely. about the book um you know my mom for sure 
um, that the sacrifices that both she and my dad, you know, the sacrifices they made in their whole lives to put the nine of us, uh, to feed us, to clothe us, to put us through school. It's like, you know, I cannot even imagine with nine kids, all, all within 12 years, no twins and having to do that in a country that they landed on without speaking the language. It's like, like I, I just bow in, you know, in respect and humility, um, to that. Um, and then, and then all the kids and grandkids came out like really good people. So what an amazing job, you know, um, so, so many heroes like Oprah is a hero to me, Mandela, you know, who, who, I mean, one of the, one of the things that I love about Mandela, Nelson Mandela is that he said that if he hadn't found a way to forgive his, um, you know, those who kept him in prison, those who imprisoned him, his jailers, that he would still be in prison. Mm. Uh, you know, so it talks about how freedom is a state of mind um, and, and the importance of forgiveness, which, you know, we could spend another hour talking about. Um, my favorite superheroes, I think, are, are Superman and, and Wonder Woman. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, so many people who, 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 who I respect and admire, um, you know, some well-known and some that I just know in my personal life that, that, you know, that I just honor the way that they, they do life. Mm-hmm. Um, what a great question. Thank you. Tell everybody how they can connect with you or any things that you have in the works, any new books coming out, any more TED Talks. I know things are starting to open up, so I know there's a lot of conferences that are going to start happening pretty soon. Yeah, thank you so much for that. The book is available on Amazon or where uh, your local bookstore, right? Wherever books are available. Um I haven't started live retreats or events yet. I still don't feel like that I can guarantee a, a safe environment because one of the yeah. one of the practices that I do in, in my retreats is use breath work. So we breathe powerfully in for about an hour. And I just don't think that I can guarantee safety for everybody present. Um, and, and so I'm going to wait a little bit longer um, to see what, what's happening with the vaccine and with um, with the variants and all that kind of stuff. Um, I do have virtual online coaching, right? So talking about the victimization thing again, mm-hmm. when, because of the pandemic last year, I went from, you know, 30 years of doing retreats to zero, right? My, in- my income like came to a screeching halt mm-hmm. and I could have gotten into poor me into mm-hmm. woe is me and, and worry about how am I going to survive? Mm-hmm. That's one way. And what I did instead is like, all right, here's what it, here's, here's what I got to deal with. What am I going to do with my time? I went from a hundred thousand miles on a plane a year to nothing. <laughs> and what a blessing it turned out to be. I was able to finish this book mm-hmm. and I was, and I was able to create virtual online programming, which, which I've known for years I needed to do. I was just too busy and flying all over the place to, to like drop in and be able to do it. So now I have virtual uh, online program and, and to find out more about my work, people, uh, can go to my website, soulfulpower.com. Um, and from there, they can access my social media, which I'm not great about, but you know, <laughs> I have a presence. Um, and for your audience, if they will sign up to, to be on my email list, and we all know how easy it is to just click unsubscribe if it doesn't work for you, but just by virtue of, of signing up for my email list, they'll get... Um, a sample chapter uh, from the book, the, the one that talks about what it means to live heroically. Um, they'll get some power practices so designed to apply those teachings to our lives, you know, so that so that it doesn't stay at the level of information mm-hmm. and so that it actually becomes transformation. We don't need more information. We got plenty of information. In fact, we got information overload. <laughs> what we true. need is transformation. Mm -hmm. And and that's what those practices are designed to do. Um, And then they'll also get um, a a short recorded teaching and a guided meditation about trust, which, which I created. um, I think I created it last year during the pandemic, but it was designed to help us move into that place of trust in our own lives in these crazy chaotic times of uncertainty. Mm-hmm. Well, wonderful. Well, I want you to thank you so much for joining me today, Christian. It's been a pleasure having you on and hearing all your enlightenment and insights. It's, it's truly been wonderful. 
Kyra, thank you so much. Thank you so much for having me on your show. I love the conversation. Yes. I love the, you know, the couple of conversations we've had. Um, and um, I love your energy. I love, I love what you're up to. And and thank you for doing what you do. Um, I know that the the your message, you know, makes makes a difference and, and touches many lives. So thank you so much at, at all those levels. Thank you so much for those kind words. Yes, absolutely. And for everybody else, make sure you go out and pick it, pick up Awakening the Soul of Power by Christian De La Huerta, everybody. Yes. And I want to thank all of you for tuning in to another episode of Vibe Selection. Once again, I am your host, Kyra. And if you'd like to follow me on Instagram, you can do so at I am Kyra Mahoney. Or if you like any Vibe Selection merch, you can get that at www.teespring.com slash vibe selection. Or if you like to select uh, support the Vibe Selection podcast, you can do so at www.patreon.com slash vibe selection. Tune in for next week's episode. Stay safe, stay healthy out there. Bye. Thank you for joining Vibe Selection with Kyra. Come vibe out with us again next time and hear the latest on today's hot topics. Find us on Instagram at I am Kyra Mahoney or donate at www.patreon.com slash vibe selection.